Hey, Digitally China is produced together with our friends at Radii, this awesome independent media platform. If you're interested in culture and innovation in China, you should definitely check out RadiiChina.com. They'll give you an inside look into everything from China's underground music scene to bike sharing. That's RadiiChina.com. So today we're going to focus on something a bit different: China's long tail e-commerce market. So not a huge tech corporation and not a fast growth startup, but the many thousands of users who sell stuff on WeChat and what are known as micro shops or Weishang. Yeah, actually, there are way more things happening here than just you know the big companies. Considering you know singles, they just passed, and most of the focus are on JD and Alibaba. That you know during singles they sold for more than I think 50 billion US dollars combined. That's what we usually tend to focus on when you know we ask questions about the most developed e-commerce market in in the world. Yeah, and that's why I think it's worth spending this episode looking at these Weishang or micro shops. What are they? Why are they better, in fact, than huge e-commerce platforms in some ways? And also, I think how it impacts the lives of Chinese people who now have an alternative, very low barrier to entry way to make a decent living. So, like most of the technology stories from China, it started with something related to copying, but now has developed into something far more advanced than that. Welcome to Digitally China. A podcast about the fascinating Chinese, Chinese tech industry, created together with Radii. I'm Eva. I'm Jacob, and I'm Tom. So, according to various studies, China's gaming industry is now, in fact, the largest in the world. You may know their messaging app called WeChat. Chinese outbound M&A. Chinese corporates are buying international companies at a record pace. The hottest phone you've probably never heard of. China's Xiaomi. Yes, it's state. It's claim to Apple's crown. Major deal over in China. You have Chinese tech giant Tencent leading an 8.6 billion dollar acquisition to buy a major stake in Supercell. 14.3 billion dollars in sales clocked by a Chinese e-commerce site in one wild day. So I've heard this term Weishang before, but. Honestly, I'm not really clear exactly what it is. So maybe a good way to think about it is imagine Instagram. So actually, there's not too many, I would say, messaging apps in the West that have so many features like WeChat. Basically, like a newsfeed plus messaging plus payments. So、mm-hmm. imagine you're scrolling through Instagram and your friends. Are posting photos of things that they're selling, like cosmetics or skincare products. They're just posting stuff, or even things like, "Oh, you have a friend who bakes really good cakes," you know, and they just post photos of what they're baking or what they're willing to sell. And then you just message them and say, "Like, hey, can I have one? How much is it?" And then you send them some money. So I think maybe a good way to think about it is to backtrack to the days when people first started selling stuff on the internet. So not Amazon, but individuals. So let's say eBay, right? Primarily secondhand, which isn't true for micro shops. But I think there's a period of time when people who had full-time jobs, you know, day jobs, or maybe they were stay-at-home parents, it was a good side gig, right? Just selling stuff on eBay.、Mm-hmm. And in China, which has developed in a much more mobile-centric way, I think it's good to frame micro shops like that. In the West, you don't really have. 
a good mobile app where you can have control your newsfeed. There's one-on-one chats, which is really good for discussing stuff with customers, and then payments, which is essential. So in China, WeChat has all three of these things, and it's through your mobile phone, which is why there's all these very informal shops called micro shops that have popped up. Okay, that actually makes me think a little bit about before the world became mobile, like Oriflame, their model of having you know people offline to help them sell their cosmetics. The long tail is a bunch of smaller businesses or actually individuals that are either making extra money or maybe even doing this full time to sell a bunch of products based on like who their friends are. Yeah, I think it's it's important to think about it that way because I think the largest strengths of WeChat are very different from Taobao, but also its biggest weaknesses, which is it's not very scalable. Actually, that's something that's a little bit unclear for me still. What's the difference versus Taobao? Because Taobao, the big e-commerce part of Alibaba, actually started off by enabling, you know, a lot of small enterprises or even individuals to sell things through their platform. So I think the main difference between Taobao and Microshops is the process of actually discovering them. So on Taobao, you go to the platform, you search some keywords, and Taobao does the work of bringing up different shops. And that's based on, you know, how much marketing fees, you know, they pay, the rankings, blah, blah, blah. But, but in summary, Taobao brings a bunch of shops to you based on your keywords. In WeChat, it's all based on recommendations, basically, like word of mouth marketing. You cannot just type in some keywords into WeChat and it pulls up all these personal accounts where people have shared photos of cosmetics because that that wouldn't make sense, right? It's a social networking app. So it's purely driven through the people you know and whether or not they've recommended uh, Weishang or Microshop to you. And so I guess it's, it's part of this huge, I guess, new trend of what's called social commerce where buying is driven mainly through the recommendations of your social network. So like if I wanted to buy a type of bag or let's say cakes, right? Because I actually don't really buy that many cosmetics or bags. Um, So let's say like I have a friend's birthday coming up and I want to buy them a really great cake. I could either search online for different cake shops and recommendations and I would actually have no idea if the cakes were good just I would have to trust ranking systems right which are easy to game or I could ask some close friends or ask friends who I know are savvy about food and they might just push me a contact on WeChat and be like oh this person sells cakes they're really good try them and because a friend recommended them I would probably trust them completely just add that person who I guess might be a microshop owner and just do it that way. Yeah, it actually makes sense a lot. And now when you say it, I realize that that is actually my own behavior as well, even though I didn't even reflect that is a thing, you know? Because every time you need to buy something new or something where you're unsure of, especially in these big cities in China, then you tend to ask like in a group chat or among your friends, instead of just searching online for it. I think it's really powerful in places where there's either like a low level of trust. So, for example, even if there's good rankings online, you still don't know if it's good or not, you know, like in a low trust environment. Or it's really useful in, a, in cases where there's just so many options 
and maybe they're all great, but you need you need a more curated selection. So I think friend or social recommendations are really powerful in this context because um, if a friend recommends you something or sh- or a certain shop or a product, almost immediately you're going to trust them completely, depending on how good of friends you are, I guess. Um, or it really cuts down the due diligence that you do. Or two, it just means that you don't have to sift through as many options because your friends have already done that for you. So you mentioned the word social commerce earlier. And I mean, in the West, we talk about that quite a lot in terms of influencer-driven sales or in terms of big brands, you know, going on social much more. But this feels like a totally different thing, right? Yeah, because I guess it's a lot more grassroots. Um, A lot of Weishang shop owners that I've spoken to, you know, some of them have become more established. They register their companies They have a little team under them. Maybe they're an official distributor of a brand's product. But I think there's quite a lot of people who just do it on their own, very informally, like, you know, stay-at-home mom who moved to Australia. So she, on the side, she makes maybe about just, you know, $1,000 a month selling products from Australia back to people in China, right? Um, It could be someone who's running their business full-time, on their own as well, and maybe they make like $10,000 a month. And it's not really like a company trying to market to millennials through social media. It's just the easiest way to sell stuff because almost everyone has a WeChat account, right, in China. And you already have this personal news feed. You don't pay any marketing fees because it's it's supposed to be your personal news feed. So you just post photos whenever. And for managing customer relationships, you have this one-on-one chat system and those people can see your personal newsfeed. So in a way, it feels more intimate than, say, the messaging client on Taobao, which is purely for transactional purposes. Yeah, and it makes sense because if then you do a good job, then your clients will recommend you to others thanks to the strengths of WeChat. And then you're going to sell more and get more clients. And so it goes on. And actually, before you mentioned this whole Weishan thing, I never realized that I've used it. So recently, I was supposed to go to a wedding, and it was a space-themed wedding, which was awesome. Because for the first time ever, I had a real reason to fulfill my childhood dream, which is getting a Stormtrooper outfit. You didn't want to be a Jedi? No, but like Stormtroopers look way cooler. So I, I only go for the visual part. I don't think about... The morals. I don't, I don't think about the morals here. Okay. <laughs> so so anyways, I actually searched for Stormtrooper outfits on Taobao because that was like my first place to go. And I found this kind of store that did that, but the pricing was really confusing. So I started messaging with them on Taobao and saying, hey, I want to buy something, but I have a few questions. And then they actually immediately made me add them on WeChat instead. So throughout this like kind of conversion funnel, it was kind of an interesting thing that happened, which is that he refused to let me pay on Taobao. And he really wanted me to pay on WeChat instead. I guess because like he would be charged something. Mm. But when I got my product, I wasn't super happy. And because I spent quite a lot of money, I texted him again on WeChat and complained and said, hey, you know, I want my money back or you send me a better product because 
you know, we got an issue here. And then it was a lot of back and forth again in terms of, you know, him letting me understand that, you know, this is the type of Stormtrooper outfits that are out on the market. So you're not going to find anything better unless you spend, you know, 10 times more money. In this scenario, I was actually as a consumer in a really weak position because Taobao got this built-in kind of security measures that if you're really unhappy, you can force kind of the seller to give you back the money if you can return the goods. Yeah. But on WeChat, I was just, you know, in his power and, you know, he refused to pay me back and I ended up using the outfit anyways. I think in that case, after speaking with Microsoft owners, it's kind of like if you burn a customer on WeChat through Weishang, the stakes are should be much higher because they'll never come back. And once they delete you, you have no way to reach them again, right? And because Weishang is not as scalable, like WeChat only lets you have 5,000 contacts per account. Mm-hmm. And it's harder to discover Weishang, right? You're, I guess your funnel is much smaller. Though the idea is that because you have this closer relationship, you have a much higher conversion rate. So, you know, like if you delete this guy, he probably knows that you're never going to buy from him again. But maybe for a product like, let's say, Halloween costumes, maybe customer loyalty isn't a big part of it. Well, actually, you know, I shouldn't be so unfair to him because uh, everything he said was true. Uh, I checked into that. So it was more me as a consumer that was less educated about kind of the Stormtrooper outfit industry. <laughs> well, I, I also think like another downside of Microsoft, which is, which is mainly what people, what a lot of people associate um, when they think about Microsoft's in China, is that the the strength and the weakness of Microsoft is it basically puts your work and your life together in WeChat, right? So if I'm constantly sending photos of fake bags on my newsfeed or what are called moments in WeChat, I'm spamming all my other friends, right? So, you know, like a lot of Microsoft owners, they'll say like, yeah, all my friends have basically blocked me on WeChat, most of my photos now are about <laughs> my business. And of course, like people can have work accounts and, you know, register another phone number for their personal account. A very common negative connotation of Microsoft's in China is that people just spam the hell out of their newsfeed. And it's really annoying for their real friends and not their customers. Yeah. And when reflecting over this whole thing, I kind of also realized that if I bought this product through Taobao and I actually returned the goods. I would have just been a very unhappy customer and never, you know, used this company or this seller again. But actually through the strengths of messaging, you know, us going back and forth, him sending like a short video about, you know, other people using it and trying to explain to me through messaging, you know, why I shouldn't be unhappy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He actually kind of turned me from an extremely unhappy customer to, you know, not a very happy but okay customer. And now I actually wouldn't have any problems recommending him to other people. Of course, you know, needing to tell my friends that this is not exactly as awesome as in the movies. <laughs> but still, this guy seems to be pretty good at what he's doing. And, you know, apparently he's taking care of me as a customer, even when I have complaints. Well, I do think that certain products lend themselves better for this more long tail, let's say, e-commerce approach. Like one of the big pros that WeChat has is that, well, it's primarily a chat, a messaging app, right? So if it's the kind of product or service that requires a lot of back and forth or consultation, 
I think it's, let's say, personalization, then I think Weisheng's better. So, for example, like, a lot of people will ask friends to buy stuff overseas when they go on trips, right? Like, I'm sure people have asked you, Tom, right? Like, when you go to Sweden Mm -hmm. or when I go to the U.S. And it's always very specific stuff, right? Like, oh, I want this specific kind of cream or... If you go, can you take a photo of, I don't know how um, high maintenance your friends are, but I've had some relatives like, oh, can you take some photos? I think with products that require more personalization, this one-on-one service and you're talking to an individual on WeChat versus, let's say, a storefront on Taobao or a company, then I think there's, there's an advantage there. Yeah, of course, me as a customer would be much happier if I feel I'm getting a one-on-one service versus, you know, just going to a website and clicking like all the other millions of people. But I do think in some cases, like, you don't really care, right? Like if I'm buying toilet paper or forks or, you know, like in that case, then it's better to just find the cheapest thing possible, which is what you would get if you're on Tabo on this massive e-commerce platform, right? Yeah, exactly. So when you've been looking into Weishang, what are the main, you know, application areas? So I've seen a lot of people who work in skincare and cosmetics. And I don't know if that's just because of my circle, but I do know that with skincare, even though it's such an established industry, there's, it's incredibly specific. You know, like, what kind of skin do you have? Is it allergic to, like, have you had an allergic reaction when you use this product? Where do you live? Do you live in a very dry climate? Do you, Is it really humid? Um, what have you tried? What's your age, right? So when I have talked to microshop owners that do cosmetics, a lot of times their conversations with customers aren't about a product, but it's more about understanding them. And then over time, if you know them really well, you can push them the right products or even say like, hey, I tried this product um, it didn't really work well for me, so I wouldn't, or had these downsides, so I wouldn't suggest buying that. So it's much more of like a, a long-term consultant in that way. And a lot of Weishang owners actually will post, let's say, articles about skin. Um, so things that aren't just products, but ways to build up like their, their thought leadership around this topic. So I interviewed one... Weishang, who's a single mom in Chengdu, so in central part of China, about her cosmetics Weishang business. And it was really enlightening because it's actually an incredibly fast-paced job that requires a ton of hard work. Basically what you would expect of any small business owner or entrepreneur, actually. On average, like it's not uncommon for her to have more than 2,000 messages on her phone that she has to get through because she's dealing with customers all day, right? And what really struck me about her lifestyle as a Weishang is both how much hard work it requires and also the flexibility, which means that as a single mom, she can spend a ton of time with her kid. Um, And that's actually why she started doing Weishang is because she was about to have uh, her, her daughter and she wanted to be able to, like, you know, send her to school Um, pick her up, be able to be with her at home, and probably not just hand her off to, like, her parents or an IE, right? Mm -hmm. So for her, like, she as a Weishang owner, she can set her vacation times, her work schedule, but every day, like, she writes out her tasks. She has a rule where she answers all of her customers' inquiries 
by the end of the day, no matter how many there are. And she said, you know, it's not uncommon for her to have over 2,000 messages on her phone. And actually her highest, she said, was over 5,000. So about 5,400, I believe, which I think is overwhelming. Like I, I think in one week, according to like my iPhone diagnostics, like I have about 900 in a week. So maybe I'm just not very popular or I don't know, but 5,000 in one day or 2,000 is, is a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And this is because she's constantly chatting with customers and not only about products. Like she actually said most of her conversations are not about what she's selling. They're very lifestyle focused. Like as a as someone who's divorced, like she'll have conversations with other female clients about husband-wife relationships, Um her WeChat moments have a lot of information about her personal life as well. So it's really like combining her work and life together. But her having like these personal conversations with all of her customers, is that kind of needed for her to in order to have a relationship with them and sell them stuff in the future? Or is this just a thing she thinks is fun? Like what did she say about it? No, it's definitely part of developing your a loyal customer base And with skincare in particular, there's a lot of consultation involved. And what makes her valuable is her, not only her expertise in this area, but how much knowledge she has of the customer, um, of of individual customers. So like she says that she knows her customers really well. She knows if they have kids, what they've been up to, because it's it's a two-way relationship, right, on WeChat. So she can see their moments. She can see what they've been up to. So she can kind of chat them up about that. But then she also knows like, oh, I know you've tried XYZ products. I know what what you've liked, what's good for your skin. And that's a big part of her values of Wei Shang. So I think part of it is talking with customers about product questions. But another big part of it is just getting to know them and strengthening their relationship. Yeah, this is really interesting because, I mean, how is a big brand ever going to beat her, you know, when it comes to these specific customers, when she can chat them up about, you know, personal life, when they trust her enough to talk to her about it and actually get recommendations from her. How is any big brand ever going to build a better relationship or convince these customers to buy from them instead, instead of via her? Well, I think so. I think it's important to remember that a lot of these Weishang work closely with brands because most of them do not create their own products. They buy wholesale and they get better prices, right? Or they're an official distributor. So I think some people are kind of doing it on their own. Like if they're buying stuff overseas and coming back, like let's say as an exchange student, I want to make, it's not even a part-time job. I just want to make a little bit of money because I'm going to be in the U.S. for six months, right? I can for a short period of time, just turn my WeChat feed into, I can be considered a Wei Shang. Um, hmm. And I'm just doing this on my own. I'm not getting any good wholesale prices. I'm just taking advantage of the fact that taxes are really high in China. Right. So I don't, I think, yes, there's some Wei Shang that deal with the products on their own, but most of these people are working with, with brands in some way, unless, yeah, they're, they're kind of doing it in a very small scale. And I think that's the key, right? If you do it in a small enough volume, it's not really a threat to brands, right? Um, so if we accumulate all the Wei Shangs and look at their volume, actually the main players that are going to lose out of this are then the e-commerce players like JD and Ali, right? 
So I don't know that I would put them side by side as competitors because the difference in volume is probably huge. Like I said, you know, one of the big benefits of WeChat is how intimate and I guess small scale it is. But that's also its biggest weakness, right? Like it's very hard to have a huge sales funnel as a Weishang because it's all through word of mouth and recommendation. But I've heard these crazy Weishang stories about, you know, people making hundreds of millions of RMB in profit every year. And, you know, they have a small team help helping them out to source products, etc., etc. Taking them plus like these thousands of people you're mentioning that are making like less money per se, like in total, that should be a pretty big number. So of all the Weishang people you talked to, did anyone mention how much money they're making? Actually, a lot of them were pretty forthcoming about it. So um, someone who was working part-time, not putting that much effort into it, that's what she said. She made about um, $800 to $900 a month. And so this mm. is the, this is a person who's that, that part-time that um, stay-at-home mom in Australia who's selling Australian goods to Chinese people. So she she was like, yeah, I, you know, I don't put too much effort. It's like part-time basically. And I make about 6,000 RMB or, you know, $800 a month. Hmm. And then I've heard like people who do this full-time, maybe making about 30,000 RMB a month or $4,000. And then like the really crazy figures that I've heard are people that make, this is someone who sold shoes on like high-end I guess designer shoes and she said that this is two years ago so I don't know if that's changed now like that she made 700,000 RMB in like six months so that's like 100k USD that's that's the highest and and the numbers we're talking about are probably like kind of their profits right not their GMV or you know the the total value of the goods they sell right that's what I assume and she she actually asked me like oh can I ask you how much other people make because I'm really curious what the industry numbers are and then I told her that first and she's like oh like now I feel a lot better about working extremely hard like working like crazy all day and night 24 7 because I make like much more than those other people <laughs> but I was like, wow. And then she said, yeah, I make, uh, I made about $100,000 or 700,000 RMB in half a year. This is actually very interesting because thanks to WeChat, a bunch of people have this opportunity to make money that matches their lifestyle. And, you know, if we look at some of the Weishan stories, at least the ones I've read, you know, the big case ones, there are all these stories about, you know, this person from this smaller town without any like really good formal education, you know, that just by working hard and leveraging these opportunities could make millions. Yeah, I think people always talk about the gig economy. And I think Weishang is a better version of that because in a gig economy, you're kind of a slave to the platform, right? Uber take take a chunk of your of your salary, right? And they don't offer you any benefits. At least not in the same way that a full-time employer would, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like that's like the main weakness of being a worker of the gig economy. But I think Wei Shang is closer to being a small business owner because again, like you have so much control over everything. You can decide, you know, the profits because it's informal, you know, WeChat doesn't take any of it, um, which is why WeChat actually does not like Weishang and works actively to like kind of crack down on it and control it. So you're using this tool to sell stuff, but you're not working for the platform. 
like on Taobao, you have to pay money, right? Because Taobao's doing marketing for you. They're helping you attract customers. But it's, you're doing everything on your own on WeChat. So you control the storefront. You can post whatever photos or content you want right on your newsfeed. You're the one that's developing the relationship with customers. They're on your WeChat, so you don't lose them, right? And you're obviously getting the transaction. So I think it's, for me, the most compelling thing about Weishang is like, yeah, it makes it, it's just another way that people can run their own businesses, but in a way that's super flexible, like in a way that, and, and, and very low barrier to entry, unlike a brick and mortar shop. So yeah, like a lot of people I spoke to were stay-at-home moms, single moms, young people, um, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, this is actually very refreshing. Uh, I mean, usually the stories about the technology sector here in China are about these high-profile people that you know want all want to MIT or Stanford, and now in China doing some super high-tech AI play, you know, with a lot of venture capital. But Wei Shang is actually the opposite. You know, we're talking about real people that are just trying to make a little bit money and build pretty good businesses out of it, but without ever really scaling like the traditional kind of internet game. And it actually gets me to think about kind of, you know, the foundation of the society and the economy as a whole. I mean, the previous generation, which, you know, before mobile internet and before smartphones, that generation started all these restaurants and all these noodle shops. So this actually gets me thinking about like the mentality in China. There are so many people here wanting to create something and make money. And, you know, not everyone went to MIT, you know? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, and I guess today we're not talking about tech businesses, more about how this tech product has created this phenomenon. But I think in the tech industry, there is a lot of focus and hype around the usual players, like the usual suspects, right? Someone who went to MIT or Stanford, someone who worked at Google, got a bunch of VC money, and then are making like a incredibly lucrative, highly scalable business. Like that's the core of what we talk about um, when we look at tech, not just in China, but in other countries. And I think what's interesting about microshops is that it shows like if you build something or you make it possible for people to create their own businesses or you know, people are very entrepreneurial. They're they're going to do it in, in unexpected ways, right? I don't think WeChat mm-hmm. ever expected all these people to start setting up these informal shops on their social messaging app, right? Or with live streaming, right? You have all these people in rural areas and smaller cities filming themselves doing incredible or very bizarre things and getting fans making money off live streaming, which is pretty cool. So I, I think for me, that's that's a pretty compelling part about Microshops. Yeah, it's both very refreshing and inspiring in this time of talks about AI and automation and that, you know, no one's going to have jobs except for the MIT guys, you know, and seeing this side of the economy and, and what technology can actually do for the majority of the people and not just the top 0.1%. And again, I just want to emphasize, you know, something that I found really impressive about Microsoft owners is just how incredibly driven they are. Some of them work 24-7, right? Or work incredibly long hours. They're always on call, basically. Like the He Yunxiang, the, the skincare Weishang shop owner in Chengdu, she's not only a single mom, but she's also learning English now. 
you know, she wants to improve her future prospects and she's struggling her own business, English classes, raising her daughter. And I think a lot of that is maybe possible because she has a pretty flexible work schedule. She's not tied to a brick and mortar shop, right? If she was a traditional small business owner, it's all through her phone and she can decide like, oh, I'm going to pick up my daughter in the afternoon. I'll go to you know, take my English class. Um, all the while I can talk to customers, you know, and I think that's that's probably changed um, a lot of people's lives here. Refreshing and uh, inspiring. So thank you for listening to this third episode of Digitally China. If you have any feedback or questions, please reach out to us. We are keen to hear your opinions. Digitally China is produced by me, Jacob Loven, Eva Xiao and Tom Shaw. And it's powered by Radii an independent media platform exploring culture, innovation, and life in China. You can find them at radiichina.com. Thank you for listening.